0: high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look, be your own interior designer. This is Affordable Interior Design, the podcast. Here's your host, Betsy Hellman. Hello, we are back for the third part of this three-part series on the business of interior design. And as you guys know from listening to parts one and parts who I am joined by Paulina Dupin, who not only has a very extensive uh, background working in the interior design industry before coming to this firm, she's been with this firm for nearly seven years now. So I'm really glad she's back today to answer even more of your questions. And guys, if you're saying, who is Paulina? Tell us more. Just go back to part one and she'll give you some background. And of course, you won't want to miss parts one and two. So Paulina, welcome back again. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Betsy. Thanks for having me again. Of course. Well, we are overflowing over here with business questions that have come in. So I'll let you read the first one. How's that?
1: Yes, let's start. So the first question comes in from Lisa, located in Brooklyn. When designing for clients, how do you make sure to meet their budget? I can imagine it would be very easy to get carried away and go way over. Uh, Do you want me to go first? You go first. You go first. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So budget is very important. I think we always, all of us, we always start with the budget. Um, You want to make sure that you know how much they want to spend. And we try, I never, I always try not to go over it. Um, Unless there's like a piece that I really, really love and I really want them to see it. um, I'll give it to them as a choice. but I, I always look for the pieces that are the most important first. Right? So, like, I pick pieces, large pieces like a sofa or sectional or something that I know will be the most important. And then I spend a good amount of my budget there. Um, so, I know that I want them to have a sofa that is not from Wayfair or Overstock, right? I want it to be from a nice store. So, I know I will spend more money on their sofa. I also know I will spend more money on this beautiful piece of art that they requested that goes above the sofa. Um, so, I will spend more money on those main pieces. And then from my leftover budget, I will do the smaller pieces like side tables, right? Maybe a rug can be cheaper because they have kids and a dog. So that's where you can save money. Um, so I would say spend your money on the big pieces first and then um, buy the cheaper pieces for the leftover budget.
0: Yeah. And I think staying in budget is so important. I do the exact same thing Paulina does in terms of, you know, I'll stay within budget. I'll make sure everything is right where it needs to be. You know, you also have to think about shipping and tax. And those are things that are too complicated for me to be thinking about when I'm designing. Because I don't know their zip code, what's their sales tax in that particular area. So I try and always go under their budget. So that way, when they add on the sales tax and shipping, it'll be right at that number. And I make sure to point that out at the end of my presentation. But, um, if there's something I want to show the client, I'll make it an option two or option three. I'm not gonna build in that expensive option into the primary list and have it factor into my budget when it's just a splurge that could be fun, but I don't know if they you know will be willing to go there with me. I also think it's important to think about those priority pieces, and you know definitely, as so far, sectional is a priority piece. But there may be other priorities that you don't personally have, but that the client has. So every now and again, I'll have a client who works from home, has a very stressful, intense job, and I want them to have a big executive desk, something expensive with drawers, That for them is going to be very important, whereas a different client, the desk is not as big of a deal. So I don't just by default assume that this item is a priority. I make sure and ask, what are the priority functions in here? What do you want to do? And then that first or second priority function that they share, I know I need to spend more money there. Also, there's certain items that just are going to be more money. Uh, Bar cabinets are very expensive. Hutches and dining rooms are very expensive. I can find you an affordable table, but a hutch, we're going to have to splurge a little bit. Dressers, you're not going to find a good quality dresser for under $800, in my opinion. So there's things that just by their very nature need that extra allocation of funds. And I will start there, just like Paulina did. Let's head to our next question coming from Austin, Texas. Fred is writing, are there any furniture stores or companies that you've had really bad experiences with that you would never want to work with again? What is the best way to avoid these companies beforehand? So Fred, I don't want to throw any companies under the bus here on the podcast because uh, you know, I have a limited range of experiences with them. And... I want to be careful. Podcast lives in perpetuity, and maybe some of these businesses that I don't love will get their act together and be great businesses moving forward. And three years ago, I said something naughty about them. So I'll watch myself. But the thing that I share with my designers is if it's a company that you're not familiar with, that you've never ordered from before, then you definitely want to avoid getting expensive pieces there because they may not be of quality, but before you do anything, I take their name, so XYZ Company, and I search XYZ Company and Better Business Bureau. XYZ company reviews. I need to see what people are saying about this company. I need to see if it's reputable. Uh, there have definitely been instances where I have recommended a piece that was really unique from a store I didn't know that much about. And I let the client know, you know, I've never ordered from this store before. I'm not sure, but. You cannot find this wallpaper anywhere else. And I want you to have this wallpaper. So let's take a flyer on it, but use your American Express where you can have the card. I'm sorry, the charge reversed quite easily because I just don't know this company. And also, if you don't feel willing to take this leap with me, then I'll find you a different option. But I had to show you this wallpaper. So that's how I feel, Fred. But now, you know, I find and I don't know about you, Paulina, that more and more small companies are popping up that seem to have really gorgeous inventory but that don't have great reviews.
1: I would also add if something uh, just sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Mm. So if you see a company that sells like really beautiful pieces and you can tell that from the pictures that they're super high quality and very unique um, and the price tag does not reflect what you're seeing, um, I would probably stay away from that brand. That's really smart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we'll have seen comparable cabinets, comparable dining tables, and this is a third of the price and it's so much cooler looking. What's the catch? And there is a catch, especially during these times of supply chain issues. Nobody's getting a deal um, at this moment in time. So you do want to be very careful. All right, Paulina, you got our next question. Um, Yes, our next question is from
1: Virginia, and Virginia is asking, my dream is to become an interior designer. I have no background or experience in it, but I have been watching webinars and HGTV. My question is, how did you find confidence to start? Do you all have a degree in interior design? Do you have experience prior to working for yourself? Where should I begin?
0: Paulina, do you want to start there? Or you want me to go?
1: Um, yes, I can start, of course. <laughs> so I think we all come from different backgrounds. Um, I do have an education in interior design and um, some of the designers that work in our company do. Some people don't. But I think you need some sort of, some sort of education, right, in that field. Um, if it's a course or you know a college degree, it's totally up to you and depends on what you wanna do. And we kind of touched on that question before um, in our previous episodes, but um, I think it just depends what you want to do. <laughs> you still need some education, but it depends on what you want to do um, with your degree. What do you think, Betsy?
0: Yeah, and and definitely I think that webinars, depending on whose webinar. So that's kind of an open statement that I'm not sure exactly what education you're getting from those. But I will warn that HGTV, as most of us know, is not representative of how design actually works. And I fell in love with interior design by watching shows while you were out, trading spaces. That was sort of my HGTV back in the day. And I... I was in for a rude awakening when I went to work at a large firm. And I was like, wait, this takes six to 12 months. This isn't going to happen overnight. The handyman team isn't just at our beck and call for a week, camped out in the front yard. Wait, they have other projects and they've got to come back? What? So I must say I actually built my firm to most closely represent and interpret the HGTV timeline. Like we design quickly from the day we meet our clients to the day we present, the final presentation is two weeks. But the actual implementation of that design Which at our firm, we mostly stay out of, you know, getting the handyman, getting the paper, the wallpaper installed, getting the paint applied, making sure that you sample first. All those steps are really on the client at our firm because those were steps I didn't particularly enjoy. I really enjoyed that fast process. So think about how you want to work with clients, what types of clients you want to work with. And again, there is that quiz at uploftinteriordesignacademy.com. It all goes back to what Paulina says. What's the ultimate goal? What type of designer do you want to be? If you want to work with high-end clients, going shopping, building custom furniture from scratch, in my opinion, you need that more traditional education. If you want to work with clients in their home shopping retail, I don't think that traditional education is going to get you there. And I've hired lots of designers who've had that background, and they don't know the first thing about standard sizes of rugs, about shopping at Pottery Barn, about what lengths of window treatments you can expect in terms of blinds and drapes. And I have to re-educate them all over again, which is why I created the Academy. You asked also about confidence, and I'd say this is the number one issue that I come up against with people who are new to the field is that maybe they do have some education, but they just are still scared. Or maybe they've already started taking clients, but they don't feel like they have that foundation of education. My answer is that you absolutely need both. You can go to as much school as you want, undergrad, graduate program, supplementary courses and webinars, and you are not going to feel confident until you take your first client and then you take your second client and then you apply what you've learned in real life circumstances. I actually went the other way around, right? So I took lots of clients before I had a foundation of education and I learned at the school of hard knocks. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to remeasure for that rug oh gosh, what am I going to do to get a light fixture in here when there's no electric in the ceiling? Let me run to my friends, my fellow interns at the high-end firm where I was working. I had to reverse engineer my education, and that did not make me feel confident. So in my opinion, you need both. Education first, but don't over-educate yourself. So many people hide behind extra degrees, extra courses. If only I knew that, I would feel ready. And that is absolutely false. You need some education, and then you need to immediately apply it. You know, we are not brain surgeons here. We are not rocket scientists. But if you're a brain surgeon and only ever read about the surgery and never actually did the surgery, I don't think you'd feel confident. And you could read about it for decades, and I still think you'd be missing that piece. And while I am not a surgeon, I feel like the same applies to interior design. What do you think, Paulina? You train all of our new designers. So, how do they build that confidence?
1: I absolutely agree. I think you have to really get yourself out there in order to build that confidence. And I think you have to back it up with some knowledge. Um, like you really need some knowledge because without knowledge, you will never be comfortable. You will never be confident. Uh, the clients will ask you questions that you know they will expect you to have answers to, and you will not be confident if you don't have those answers, if you don't know what's the proper, you know, what's the proper height of a dining table and how high is the dining chair that should go underneath it? Like, what are those standard sizes, right? Um, how much of a clearance you need between the coffee table and the edge of the sofa? How much space you need for walking? Um, so I think there is a lot of stuff that you need to learn first in order to be confident. And then, like Betsy said, you just need to practice. Go out there, practice, and also manage your expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, HDTV probably is is probably not the best source uh, to help you manage your expectations because everything happens so fast, and um, it's just not the reality of the industry. So. Um, Getting to know the industry a little bit better, knowing what the timelines really are in real world will also help you be more confident
0: and a better designer in the future. Right. You can tell your clients what to expect. When you have those answers, they will feel confident in you. And in turn, you will feel confident with them. And you know that's why we created the Academy, Paulina and I, because we were training designers to work at our firm, designers who'd been to school, traditional school with degrees and debt, designers who hadn't been to school. And we found that they succeeded at the same rate and we had to train them the same way. They both didn't understand sort of how to apply the learning they may have had in other industries or in that traditional schooling to clients that they were taking. What do I do from the minute I step in their doorway to the minute I leave? What does the workflow look like? I'm a deer in headlights over here. I know the history of a Queen Anne chair. I don't know if they like Queen Anne chairs or how to talk to them about this stuff. So it's so important that you know you can always educate yourself by learning the history of something, or I want to take a deep dive into what comprises chenille fabric. Educating yourself is always beautiful, but don't over educate yourself to the point where you know you're just using it as a delay tactic. So go out there, get some education and take some clients. You're ready, Virginia. Almost ready. Let's move to Susie's question from Warwick, Rhode Island. I love Rhode Island. I'm headed out there for vacation in just a few short weeks. I love Rhode Island. Yeah. Yeah. I go there every summer with my kids because it's close enough, but far enough. And we know all the places to eat now, all the good beaches. So I don't have to think about it, right? My husband's like, why do we keep going back to the same place? And I'm like, Because I can just plug and play, plug and play. But Susie's having some trouble. She's writing, I'm having trouble finding more clients. I've had a few, mostly within my sphere of influence, friends of friends and stuff like that. What is a good way to market right now? How should I begin to look for clients? I would love to consistently have something to work on. Well, I have some insights on that because, you know, at our firm, we need ideally 40 clients a month. And we close 24 to 33% of our leads, which means we need a whole lot of leads to get 40 clients. And there's a lot of strategies you can use. But as a new designer, just starting out, you know, you want to make sure that you have a Google My Business listing page. And you want to make sure that you have a website. The website does not need to be robust it does not need to have 20 pages initially it just needs to share you know who you are what your background is pictures of your work and how people can contact you you don't even have to put your pricing or your plans on there right away as you're kind of figuring things out Uh, Then you do want to get some business cards so that you can spread the word about your new venture. And it doesn't have to be a business card format, could be a postcard, could be a brochure, but something that you can hand out to those friends and family so that they can pass that along. Something so that way when you join your local chamber of commerce or when you're at business meetings or when you're just, you know, out At a soccer game with your kids and another mom or dad asks you what you do, you can just hand them this brochure and say, this is what I do. So you do want to start initially with that word of mouth. You do want to get those successful clients who are friends of friends. Friends of family members to then write you reviews. You're going to need those reviews on your Google My Business page to start building your credibility. And does it start slowly? Yes. Does it snowball quickly? Yes. But that's why you want to make sure that your clients have really good experiences with you why you want to make sure to have that foundation of education so that they will be so excited to refer you. When people come over to their house, wow, who did this? Well, Susie in Warwick did this. You're going to want to hire her too for all your needs in Narragansett. Uh, So make sure that you set people up for success by handing them extra brochures and giving them an amazing experience so they'll want to rave about you soon that friends and family person is going to want to rehire Susie to do three more rooms or whatever's next. So just you wait. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com classes to get your bundle or your online class today. But Paulina, you probably have the highest ratio of return clients at our firm. Everybody wants to work with Paulina again and again again. So what's your secret to building that tight relationship where they're coming back to you and referring you?
1: Well, first of all, that I, I didn't know that. That's great to hear. Uh, <laughs> but I love my return clients. So um, it's really nice to be able to work with somebody that you've already established a good connection with that you've already worked with. They already trust you. It's like you can skip one step uh, working with that person again. Um, And I think that really connecting with your client and meeting their expectation is the key to having them as a return client. Um, Really, Really meeting their needs or being responsive to what their needs are uh, is the most important in my opinion. Of course, you have to you have to get to know that person, right? <laughs> like you get you really get to know them um, I think on a personal level, you know, their cat's name, you know, their kids' names, right? And that's also really important because you're designing for their life. You're designing for every day of that person's life. So, you have to get close and you have to get personal and you have to make sure that you really listen. Um, and if you really listen, you will hear a lot. You will hear more than what they just say, right? And I think that's the secret, maybe, mm-hmm. to just having a return client. So, doing a good job,
0: being responsive, and then reading between the lines. Well, and I think that listening is so important because not just are you gleaning a lot of information, but they're feeling like you're hearing them. They're feeling understood by you because you're so plugged in. And if you can repeat back their kids' names, right? The next time that you show up, how did Jeannie like her playroom? You know, how is it working out with Leroy, your new dog? They are really going to feel like there's a tight personal connection. And you kind of become like an ancillary family member. Wait, you know, I'm working with this client this afternoon and her daughter, Mia, is getting ready for college. How do we need to transform this room from something that was right for a tween to something that's right for somebody who's, you know, becoming her own person and may not be there all that much. It's just so nice to be interwoven in all their lives events. And it's very rewarding for me as a designer. Let's do a lightning round with this last question because I do have a follow-up call with my dear client, Mia's mom, Elaine, in just a few short minutes. So, Paulina, uh, you want to read this one? Yes.
1: Um, So the next question is from Renee from Burbank, California. How do you learn to design in a style that is not your own? I am starting my own business and want to appeal to lots of different clients, but I only enjoy designing modern farmhouse. Do I need to change or should I do what I love and wait for the perfect clients to find me? Whew,
0: that's a tough one.
1: Well, first, the modern farmhouse—it's so popular. Uh, it's a very popular style. Been it's been popular for a while now. Um, I don't know. I think again, it's a, it's a very personal decision because you don't really have to appeal. I think to general public, like if this is your style, I think you can just you know one way to go is to really build a business around your style. And there's plenty of companies that build their businesses. And actually, this is the more traditional way of working as an interior designer, um, that you have your own aesthetic and your own style and people come to you because they really enjoy your aesthetic and your style. So one way to go is just... Embrace your style and go for it and be modern farmhouse into your design firm. But um, another way to go is to know to design in more styles. However, that could be a little bit more tricky, right? Because then you really have to get to know all the styles that are out there. Um, So we're again maybe going back a little bit to the education portion (laughs) you might have to learn you might take a deep dive like what is traditional interior right like how does it look like what does it entail like what are the rules there are rules Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) what are the rules what is modern what's contemporary like there is a lot of different styles people blend their styles people are eclectic so i think if uh you're not I don't know if maybe if you're not comfortable with it, you know, but you love your
0: modern farmhouse, just stick with it. Just go for it. I would warn that modern farmhouse is a little bit trendy right now. As Paulina mentioned, it's been around for a while. You know, if you're looking at places like Studio McGee, who really dig in deep to modern farmhouse. But I would worry personally as a designer that that design style is probably going to be out in a couple of years. And so you want to make sure that the design style you love is going to have longevity. I think it's a great idea to maybe focus on the modern component of that rather than linking it with farmhouse or the farmhouse component of that and focus more on those rustic spaces and eliminate the modern. But I think just like Paulina said, honing in on traditional or a style that's more all encompassing will give you more to play with rather than make you obsolete when the trend is over. And I do feel like the modern farmhouse trend is nearly over. Just looking in my crystal ball, just saying. And so I want you to be malleable and flexible enough that it doesn't completely wipe out your personal fan base. Well, everyone, I'm so glad that you wrote in with all these delicious business questions. And I'm so glad that Paulina was able to join me to answer them. It was great to be here. Well, Paulina, I will see you very shortly at another one of our amazing team meetings. But until that time, thank you for being our guest. And guys, thank you for listening. If you have questions, business-related, design-related, whatever, send them to affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast. Once again, go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast. You'll see a little button there that says submit your question to the podcast, and we will answer it on an upcoming show. Until then...